Hanukkah is the only Jewish holiday which is not associated with food. Although it's a thanksgiving, thanking Hashem for the miracle. When you do a suda teido, you have to do a suda, you have to do a meal. And yet Hanukkah, although we're giving thanks to the incredible miracles that happen, and yet we don't eat. It's not the only Shabbat is associated with food. Every Jewish holiday is associated with food. The exception of Hanukkah. Even the one food that we do eat, the latke, or the suvganiyot, it's because of the oil. It's associated with the oil. Because of the miracle of the oil. How do we celebrate Hanukkah? Lighting the candle. That's the theme of Hanukkah. That's the focus of Hanukkah. The question is why? Why is Hanukkah the only Jewish holiday that's not associated with food? And it's not that Jews are afraid of eight days of eating. <laughs> it's not a deterrent. <laughs> the first day one latke, the second day two latkes, the third day... <laughs> but the reason is, Hasidus explains, because even the battle... A tremendous military victory. What was the battle all about? What were they fighting about? It all had to do with the oil. What does oil represent? It was a spiritual battle. Oil represents wisdom. It was a battle between Jewish wisdom, Jewish philosophy, and Greek wisdom, Greek philosophy. It was a battle between Athens and Jerusalem. And the miracle was that Jerusalem won. Jerusalem triumphed. The Greeks, their intent was not to destroy the Jewish people. They didn't even destroy the temple. They defiled the temple. They didn't destroy the oil. They contaminated the oil. They defiled the oil. Because the Greeks also believed, they also had temples. The Greeks even believed in God. The Greek philosophers, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, they prided themselves in their understanding of God. But their idea of God, in contrast to the Jewish idea of God, their idea of God is that God is the supreme being. Meaning, I am a being, but God is the ultimate, the supreme being. God is the original cause and we are the effect. So God is something. I am something. God is something. Of course, God is, precedes me, so God is more powerful, the Almighty, and is the original cause, and the supreme being. And, but I am also something. On the contrary, they prided themselves. Look how brilliant we are. Look how great our intellect is, that our mind is able to understand the ultimate the original cause, the ultimate philosophy, understanding God. So the relationship to God was like that of a student and a teacher. The student respects the teacher, but the student doesn't worship his teacher. What bothered the Greeks is that the Jew worships God. They loved wisdom. They loved even Jewish wisdom. They loved philosophy. They had no problem. They were not out to destroy wisdom. They weren't out to destroy temple. Temple is beautiful. Belief in God is beautiful. 
But what they were out to was to defile the wisdom. What they fought against was the holiness, the sacredness. It's holy. The purity of the oil, the holiness, the fact that a Jew looks at God as a Kaddish Baruch God is transcendent. God is beyond me. God is totally above me. God transcends the whole universe, and not only the whole universe, the whole frame of, framework of the universe. And therefore, in comparison to God, we are nothing. And therefore, a Jew bows down to God and worships God and draws down God's holiness and God's presence into this world through the temple and through the mitzvot, by lighting the candle, to bring holiness and purity, to bring godliness. What they fought against was the Jewish faith, Jewish purity, Jewish holiness. This is what bothered them. Religion, no problem. Theology, philosophy, meditation, even spirituality, no problem. But holiness, sacredness, Purity, worship, this they fought against. And this is what the whole battle was about. It was about restoring the sanctity, rededicating Hanukkah, rededicating the holiness of the temple, reestablishing, purifying the temple, finding that pure jar of oil, which represents that pure faith that's untouchable. That's sealed with the seal of the high priest that the Greeks cannot contaminate, cannot touch. They can contaminate the whole entire temple, but it always will remain within each and every Jewish soul. There always remains a pure jar of oil representing that pure faith, sealed with the seal of the high priest. The divinity within the Jew, the divine essence, the divine spark, the pintle yid, that each and every Jew possesses and is located at the very center of their being. This is what Hanukkah was about. It was a battle between these two philosophies. Holy philosophy, Jewish philosophy, versus Greek philosophy, which is based on pure intellect. Brilliant. Dazzling brilliance. But pure human intellect. Versus Judaism is based on pure faith on the divine. And therefore a Jew is nullified before God, worships God, is connected with God, and, and is charged with the mission of bringing down holiness and purity into this world. So this was the battle of Hanukkah. So that's why the whole miracle centers around, the focus centers around the oil. Because that, that sums up even the great astounding miracle of the battle, the military victory. In the, in the, if you read the history of battles, this was one of the most impressive military victories in history. A handful of guerrillas single-handedly brought down the world superpower, defeated the world superpower, almost fighting with their bare hands. This was incredible. And yet, we don't commemorate that. That's not the focus. The whole focus is the miracle of the oil, the menorah. Because again, even that battle, what was it all about? What were they fighting about? They were fighting about... They were fighting for Jewish purity, for Jewish holiness, for Jewish faith. Now, how do we light the menorah? How do we celebrate Hanukkah? So there are two opinions. There's the opinion of Hillel, which is what we do, which is the accepted halacha. First night, you light one candle. Second night, you light two candles. And the eighth night, you light eight candles. 
And that's one of the acronyms of the word Hanukkah. Is Chet Neirot. There are eight candles. Ba'alacha kibbeis Hillel. And the law is like Beis Hillel. Because Shammai argues with Beis Hillel. Shammai says the first night you light eight candles. The second night you light seven candles. The third night you light six candles. And the last night you light one candle. And this represents two different philosophies in life. Two different approaches to life. The same, how do you approach the same problem? The same, the objective is the same. And yet you have two paths. How you, you achieve this objective. Shammai says, let's get rid of the darkness. To get rid of the darkness, the first night you need a blazing torch. You're just starting. You need a torch to burn off as much darkness as you can. The second night, you don't have as much darkness to deal with. So now seven candles is enough. With each passing night, the darkness diminishes. And by the last night, one candle is enough because the darkness is gone. The evil, the negativity is gone. Hillel's approach, and that's the halacha, says no. The objective is the same. But instead of focusing and getting rid of the darkness, let's focus on the light. Let's find the light. Hasidif uses the analogy between these t- two different approaches, which is like the liberal approach and the conservative approach. The right hand, the left hand, there are different souls, souls that are rooted in the, the right hand, God's kindness, and souls that are rooted in God's strength, gavura, intensity. Two different approaches to life. Two different assumptions in life. Look at the same reality, a totally opposite perspective. It's not one is legitimate, one isn't. They're both legitimate. They're both legitimate approaches. So, for example, gold. You dig, you mine. You mine the earth. Gold, silver, diamonds. You don't find pure gold. It's, it's, it's mixed together with the rocks and with the sand. And with the... So you have to separate the dirt from the gold. So you have two different approaches. Diametrically opposed. And each approach has an advantage and a disadvantage. One approach is, we start out with the same pile. One approach is, okay, let's get rid of the dirt. So you, you search for the dirt and you remove the dirt from the pile. Okay. You think you're done? No. And then you go back and you discover more dirt that you missed. You know, like you sweep the floor and it looks clean. You sweep again, you still find dirt. And you sweep again, you still find dirt. For some reason, there's always a little dirt left that you missed the first, the second, or third time. So you keep on going back. You go back to the pile. Oh, there's some dirt, some dust that I missed. And you go back and back. And when you're done, what are you left with? Pure gold. A chunk of pure gold. That's the advantage of this approach. Because you're left with pure gold. The disadvantage of this approach is that in the process of getting rid of the dirt, you also got rid of some of the gold. Because as you swept away the dirt, you also swept away some nuggets of gold. So you lost some gold, but you gained 
the gold that's left is, is 100% is pure it's pure as purer than pure then there's a whole different approach same problem the same issue and the same objective but instead of focusing on the dirt you focus on the gold remove the gold from the dirt you go into the pile and you take out the gold the first time around you take out all the obvious gold but then you go back because there's, there's some gold that I left, some gold nuggets that I left that I missed you go back and take out the gold nugget and then you go back until you find the gold dust by the time you're done you have removed every last speck of gold that's in this original chunk, chunk of earth there isn't a speck of gold left. the advantages that you've saved, you've retrieved, you've obtained every last dust of gold, speck of gold. 100, you have 100% of the gold. The disadvantage is that the gold is not so pure. <laughs> because when you take the gold out, you're also taking out some of the shmutz with it. It's like a difference in quantity and quality. The kind approach, the liberal approach. You have a lot of quantity. You have gold. Massive amount of gold. The quality is not so... Ay, ay, ay. It's not 100%. The second approach, you have much less quantity. Because by taking out the dirt, you also take out part of the gold. But quality, you're left with pure. Pure gold. One is focusing on the positive, and one is focusing on the negative. And we find this same approach, this was the difference in Abraham and Isaac, Avram and Yitzchak. Abraham was the loving approach, from the top down. And therefore, Abraham was very far-reaching. Abraham was able to reach everyone. He invited everyone into his tent, into his home. He made everyone feel comfortable. Even people who were so far removed. When the three angels came to him and they appeared like, like nomads, Arabs, who bowed down to the dust of their feet, worshipped Mother Earth. Mother Earth. You can't get lower than that. Someone who has no concept of anything greater than themselves. And their whole life evolves around worshipping Mother Earth the lowest form of pagan worship imagine them and yet Abraham was even able to reach them and to teach them and to educate them because Abraham found the gold the specks of gold in each and every human being there's a speck of gold he's a creator created by God so there is a divine connection if God is creating this person there's a divine connection there has to be some, something good in this person. And Abraham was able to reach that person. He was able to reach everyone. He was able to find the last speck of gold in the farthest, most unsuspecting places. You would never think there's anything good, anything even possible in, in such a, a person. And Abraham was able to find that speck of gold that, in the most un, least likely places. This was Abraham's approach, from the top down. And if he was able to reach very, very far, and he's able to reach his own son, like Ishmael. Ishmael was a non-Jew. 
and he was able to reach him. And Yishmael died a righteous man. Even though in his, young, in his youth he tried to murder Isaac, his younger brother, half-brother, and yet he repented and he became a righteous man. So there's hope for the Arabs who mm-hmm. spend all their energy trying to murder and trying to destroy and trying to maim and hurt and harm the Jewish people, yet they, there's hope they'll learn from their ancestor. They will definitely learn from their ancestor and they will realize that when they learn to respect and to love and to help the Jew, they will be blessed. And the Middle East will become the richest, most flourishing, most thriving, most vibrant, most civilized, most cultured place in the world. But that was Abraham. Isaac had a whole different approach. Isaac was all about quality. Isaac was intense, heroic, the sacrifice. Isaac could not tolerate mediocrity. Isaac was looking for dedication, courage, strength, depth, genuineness, sincerity. Isaac had a very small following. Because Abraham's followers couldn't keep up with Isaac. It was too demanding. But he couldn't tolerate half measures. He wanted excellence. He wanted those who were ready and committed to climb the Mount, climb Mount Everest, spiritual Mount Everest. Who had the dedication, the devotion, the commitment. So Isaac's approach was to remove the dirt. Remove anything that can get into the way. Remove mediocrity. Remove human nature. Refine your nature. That's why the Torah tells us Isaac was a well digger. Torah is not a history book. Why does the Torah tell us that Isaac, what he did for a living was he dug wells? Why is that relevant to us? Who cares? Because what the Torah is telling us, this was Isaac's approach to life. Isaac was a well-digger. Isaac dug into the human psyche, dug into the person, and removed the schmutz, dealt with the schmutz. He wanted the person changed, transformed, remove anything that's in the way and allow the bubbling water, the living water, to bubble to the surface, the pure water, the refreshing water. Abraham was like rain from heaven. It comes in abundance. It reaches very far. But rain is not the same as wellspring water. Wellspring water, fresh water, is much richer. It's not as quantitatively wise. It's not as impressive as rain. It's not as much as rain. It's very limited. But it's something that lasts. It's not like rain. Rain is very moody. And it's something that's real. It comes very deep within. Isaac was looking for depth. Isaac was looking for genuineness. Isaac was looking for transformation where the earth becomes a source of water. You remove all the dirt and you allow the fresh water to bubble to the surface. So Isaac's way of getting to the gold was by digging the dirt, getting rid of the dirt. Anything, anything that's in the way, he wanted purity, 100%. So Isaac, in a certain sense, dealt more with the earthy, earthiness of the, the reality of the person. That's why Isaac's favorite son was Esau. Because Esau was that 
earthy, down-to-earth person, Isaac tried to dig a well. Tried to get through to Esau. That Esau himself should bubble with excitement and, 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 and enthusiasm, passion for godliness. So this was Isaac's approach. So these two approaches are opposites. And each one has an advantage and each one has a disadvantage. Now it says today the law is like hill because the majority of people can't live up to Shammai's expectation. Because Shammai's approach was the first night of Hanukkah you have this bright, brilliant torch, eight candles, and you're getting rid of all the obvious darkness. Now you go back. We have to revisit. Let's get rid of more darkness. But the obvious darkness has already been dealt with. So now you, you don't need such a strong light. Even seven candles is enough to find. By the time you're done, the last night of Hanukkah, one candle is enough because there's hardly any darkness left. You're just going to look for the last crumbs of the last... It's like uh, before Pesach. With one candle, you can, you can find whatever is left. The house is already clean, sparkling. You're already clean. It's, it's, you clean the house. You're just looking for anything you may have left over. One little candle is enough. The darkness is gone. You're left with that pure purity. 100%. Hillel's approach, however, is we have to find, find the gold. So the first night, all you need is one candle. Because the gold is so obvious. You, look, you take out the good. The next night, I have to go back. I have to find the gold that I missed. You need a little stronger light. With each night, the light gets stronger until the last night, you're looking for the last dust of gold, the last speck of gold that you may have missed and may still be in the, in the, in the pile of dirt that remains, that's left over. So you need a strong light to find the last speck of gold that you may have missed, you need such an intense light. It's like right before Mashiach comes. Every generation of Jews have to elevate the sparks. So the first generation of Jews elevated all of the obvious sparks. There are 288 holy sparks in this world. The first generation of Jews, the generation that left Egypt, elevated 202 out of the 288. So they elevated all of the obvious sparks. And the rest has been left to us. The last 86 has been left for the last 3,300. And 23 years, we've been working on the last 86 sparks. So each generation, and as the generations progress, until you come to the last generation, which is our generation, we have to elevate the last remaining sparks the little spark that's lost in the, in the pile of dirt you have to find. So for this you need a torch, an intense light. Otherwise you'll miss it. And that's why as the generations progress and the darkness increases, on the other hand, the light also increases. With each passing generation, there was a greater, more intense revelation of godliness. First you had the Kabbalah, the explosion of Kabbalah, the 16th century. And then you had the Baal Shem Tev, and the Magid, and then the, the Tanya, and the Alter Rebbe, and all the seven Rebbe's, and the Rebbe. This intense torch, this intense light to illuminate and to find the last sparks. 
For this, you need an intense light. And the good news is, the Rebbe said, we've already mission accomplished. We've already elevated all of the sparks. But this is why, according to Hillel, with each night, you have to increase the light. Until the last night, you need a, the strongest light possible in order to find the last spark and the last piece of gold that's still in that pile. So today, the law is like Hillel. But it says when Mashiach will come, the law is going to be like Shammai. Because then we'll all be in that level. Today, it's too intense. Shammai's approach is too intense. It's not for av- the average person. It's not for people like us. You know, to fully realize your potential and to live up to your potential and to actualize your potential. This is a handful of people, as the Talmud says. A thousand students enter into the study hall and only one out of a thousand walks out fully accomplished, fully realized. Shammai represents developing your potential, realizing your potential, living up to your potential, being restless, being restless until you've realized your potential. How many people can live up to this? This takes intense effort, intense dedication, intense devotion, and a restlessness with the status quo, a restlessness with the way you actually are, and trying to change and trying to become and to, to uh, actualize your potential. This is Shammai's approach. And that's why the first night you have a potential for eight. So the first night you have eight candles. The second night you only have a potential for seven. Seven days left, so you have seven. And then the last night you have one, one day left, because you've realized your potential already. With each passing day, you've already realized your potential. So I've already realized my potential the first day. Now I just have to realize in the last day, you become fully realized. The potential is fully realized. How many people can live up to that? How many people do we know? Do you know a single person that you can honestly say that this person has fully realized their potential? They are working on all cylinders. Their engines, their mind, their heart, their soul practically, psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, they're like, their engine is fully rev, working on all, all cylinders. Their mind is engaged, and their heart is, is focused, and they're focused and connected. Could you name one person? Do you know one person like that? <laughs> and this is a very personal, subjective thing. You can have a person who's very successful, because he was gifted with such talents, that even with one hand tied behind his back, he dazzles, he's more successful than a, than a person who works ten times as hard. He doesn't have to work as hard because it comes natural to him. That's not considered wor- working and all your, all your cylinders are working. It's every person, according to their own level, are they living a life where they're challenged, where they're challenging themselves, where they're stretching, where they're growing, where they're fully engaged 100% what's considered for them 100%. If they're only engaged 99%, externally it could be very dazzling and very impressive, but it's not genuine because they are not giving it their all. For them it's not genuine because it's not 100%. So how many people do we really know? Don't look at the surface. Well, he's a very successful person. That doesn't tell me the whole story. Is this person really, truly challenging themselves? Are they really living up to their potential? 
So there are a handful of people. So Shammai's approach is not for the average. So the law is like Hillel. Look at the quantity, not the quality. The quality is not the same. Not the same caliber. Not as deep. Not as vibrant. Not as sharp. Not as profound. But this is the approach for most people. Mashiach will come over. The world will be transformed. What is the definition of exile? Exile is when there's a dichotomy between your potential and your actual. There's the... There's a grand canyon between our potential and our actual. When Mashiach will come, there will be no split between our potential and our actual. Our potential will be our actual. We'll be an awakening. We'll come alive. So this is the world of Shammai. This is the world when we'll follow the path of Shammai. So, Shammai's approach is much more inward, is much deeper, it's much more internal. Hillel's approach is much more external. Facts. The external facts. You got the gold. You got more gold. Hillel's approach, you get more gold than Shammai. Quantity-wise, objectively speaking, from a business point of view, Hillel's approach is much more lucrative, much more productive. You have a lot more. It's much more effective. But inter- quality-wise, internally, Shammai's approach is much deeper and, much, and much, more, much more genuine. You know, it's like the difference in the Torah. You have the positive mitzvot, the active mitzvot, the do's, the 248 do's, and the overwhelming majority of mitzvot are don'ts, prohibitions. Don't do this and don't do this and don't do this. Which is deeper? The don't. The don'ts. Externally, there's nothing happening. <laughs> I don't see anything. That's exactly it. You did not do something. It's a prohibition. You have nothing to show for it. Exactly. You have nothing to show for it. You show that you didn't do, you didn't do what you shouldn't have done. But internally, personally, which is deeper? Which takes a lot more out of the person? It's much more difficult to keep the prohibitions than it is to keep the positive mitzvah. Character is not what you do, it's what you won't do. The red lines you won't cross. It takes a lot more out of a person when you're tempted to do something wrong and you refrain yourself from doing it. That takes an intense personal commitment. That shapes you, that defines you, that gives you a character, that gives you a depth, that gives you a... So externally... What you see, you see the positive mitzvah. You don't see the negative mitzvah, the prohibitions. It's all internal. But it's much more profound. Shammai's approach, there's no question. Shammai's approach is much deeper, much more profound, much more intense, more vibrant, more alive than Hillel's approach. Hillel's approach is more external. That's why Isaac lived the longest of all the patriarchs. Because internally he was more alive. That was just a symptom. The fact that he lived 180 years. Chai. Because his, he was alive. He was so deep. He was so profound. He was so much alive. But it was all internal. 
externally, he did not have the influence that Abraham had. Abraham was reached everyone right. And Isaac was more internal. But the truth is, who is deeper, who is more alive, and who caused Judaism to endure? It was Isaac. He was the continuity. He was the one who cemented, who made sure that there was a continuity, that there's a continuation, that what Abraham began wasn't just a flash, but something that's real, something that's rooted, that's grounded. Because it's much deeper. It's personal. So today the law is like Hillel. Because Shammai is very demanding. Shammai had no patience in the stories in the Talmud. Hillel was very patient, very liberal, kind, loving, accepting, warm, made everyone feel like a million dollars, made everyone feel comfortable. Shammai disturbed you. Shammai made you uncomfortable. You came to Shammai, he threw you down the steps. You mediocrity, you, you, what are you, playing games here? This is life is real. Get real. You want it deeper, you want it truer, you want it... Shammai was so alive, so, so it wasn't for everyone. Most people couldn't handle it. So the majority followed Hillel. That's why the law is like Hillel. The majority followed Hillel. The majority cannot follow Shammai. His path is not, for the, is not is for the brave and for the few. Not for the many. But Mashiach will come. Shammai will take over. Because Mashiach will come. That's what Mashiach is. Redemption. Redemption is when there's no split between the potential and the actual. Then everything will be very deep, profound, personal, real, genuine. Hillel's approach was from the top down. Like water. Water flows from the top and it finds the lowest place. Water will find the lowest place. It reaches everywhere. Shammai was like fire. Fire goes up. Fire burns. Fire, you have to change. In order to get fire, the wood has to burn. The material has to burn. To release that potential, to release that energy, the material has to transform, has to change. You can't stay fire. The earth has to get out of the way and allow the water to bubble up from the depth of the earth. You have to change. Fire is demanding. Fire is intense. Fire is energy. Powerful energy. It takes apart, it transforms you, it totally changes you. Two different approaches to life. Not that one is right and one is wrong. They're both legitimate approaches to life. And they're both a reflection of the divine. There's Hashem's, when Hashem reveals Himself in the divine attribute of love and kindness, and there's when Hashem reveals Himself the divine attribute of gevurah, of intensity, of strength. Mm-hmm.